If you have your Bibles, you can turn to Jonah 1. I'm going to read Jonah 1 from 1 to 11. Then I'm going to bounce over and read Jonah 3, 1 to 9. So Jonah 1, 1 to 11. And then we're going to go over to Jonah 3, 1 to 9. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah arose to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord sent a great wind into the sea, and there was a mighty tempest in the sea, so that the ship was like to be broken. And then the mariners were afraid, and cried every man unto his God, and cast forth the wares that were in the ship into the sea, to lighten it of them. But Jonah was gone down to the sides of the ship, and he lay and was fast asleep. So the shipmaster came to him and said unto him, What meanest thou, O sleeper? Arise, and call upon thy God, if so be that God will think upon us that we perish not. And they said, everyone to his fellow, come and let us cast lots that we may know for whose cause this evil is upon us. So they cast lots, and the lot fell upon Jonah. Then said they unto him, tell us, we pray thee, for whose cause this evil is upon us? What is thine occupation? Whence comest thou? What is thy country? And of what people are thou? And he said unto them, I am a Hebrew, and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, which had made the, dry, made the sea and the dry land. Then were the men exceedingly afraid, and said unto him, Why hast thou done this? For the men knew that he fled from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them. Then said they unto him, What shall we do unto thee, that the sea may be calm unto us? For the sea wrought and was tempestuous. And 3, 1 to 9, chapter 3, verse 1 to 9. And the word of the Lord came unto Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, and go unto Nineveh, that great city, and preach unto it the preaching that I bid thee. So Jonah arose and went unto Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceeding great city of three days' journey. And Jonah began to enter into the city a day's journey, and he cried and said, Yet forty days in Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God and proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them, even unto the least. For the word came unto the king of Nineveh. And he arose from his throne, and laid his robe from him, and covered him with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he caused it to be proclaimed and published to Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything, and let them not feed nor drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and cry mightily unto God. Yea, let them turn everyone from his evil way, and from the violence that is in their hands. Who can tell if God will turn and repent, and turn away from the, his fierce anger that we perish not? We see in this story that God speaks to Jonah. How many of us have ever heard the voice of God? When he speaks to us. Sure, we go to church and sometimes we think, yeah, that was, a, that was a great sermon. It really touched me. It convicted me. Whatever. I heard God speak. 
And that, sure, that's one way that God speaks. But how many of you ever heard in the quiet moments of your life God speaking to you? One, one fellow that I came across said that. It was an unexplainable way that God speaks to him, sometimes in the quiet and sometimes he's talking back and forth. And I've had that experience. I've had that experience where God said, you know what, go pray with those folks. And I said, well, I'm just a farmer. What, what good is that going to do? I, I had that kind of experience with God. And, and for a couple years, I did not do that. Um, and finally, he, he, he kept on me. He, he didn't let me off the hook. I said, God, what you're asking me to do is the job of the deacons and the elders. Let them go do it. And I kept on that path for a little bit. And finally, that church that I was in, they asked me to be a deacon. He kept on me, and I said, no, what good is it going to do if I go pray with them? And he kept on me. And finally, there was, I had had enough. Finally, I approached the young lady who was a part of the couple. I said, would you guys be open? And at this point in time, they asked the church to be praying about their situation. They were childless. They'd been married for nine-something years. They were childless, and they had asked the church to be praying for them. And so I approached this young girl who I had grown up with in that church um, for a... a number of years, I said, would it be all right if I prayed with you and Greg sometime about your situation? And she said, oh yeah, yeah, that, that'd, be, that'd be fine. So we sat down one Sunday afternoon after service was done and we prayed. And I had been praying all day. I, I said to God, you know what? I can pray for them. God said, no, that's not what I asked you to do. I asked you to go pray with them. And it wasn't until I did that that I felt that I had obeyed God. I mean, you can pray for somebody, and that's nice, but that wasn't what he asked me to do. And I had been praying all along, God, this is a faithful couple. You've got couples or people all over the world that are having kids, they don't want them. This young couple here, they want a, a child, and they can't have one. That's not right. Father, I, I pray, you, you say that when a young man finds a woman, he obtains favor from you, and yet this guy is not... They, they're not having kids. Where's the favor? I, I prayed thoughts like that for them. But finally, until that day I prayed with them, I felt relief. I, you know what? I couldn't say to them, you know what? I, I promise you that after we pray, God's going to give you a child. I couldn't say that. God never spoke that to me. I, he never said that to me. But you know what? Until I obeyed, I had no peace with that, with that command that he told me. And after we prayed together, it was about two years, they have a little baby girl. And, and now they have another little baby boy. Um, and she was told, you will not have kids. Doctors said, you will not have kids. And there were, it's not just me. There were other people praying for them. The whole church was praying for them. And, and I look at that and I say, God, it took me being obedient for me to see you work in this, this family. And sometimes that's what it takes. It takes for us to step out in faith and, and belief and then he moves. And sometimes he doesn't move until we do that. He says to Jonah. And, and we say this too. Um, Jonah was a prophet. Of course he hears from God. That's what prophet, Prophets are hearing from God all the time. We expect that. But then I say to you here tonight. Are you a believer? Are you a Christian? 1 Peter 2, verse 9 says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. 
God has chosen you, if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, to be ministers for him. And you know what? That was so neat. Knowing that I was going to speak this tonight, hearing Pastor Sim say even that kind of thought this morning. Amazing how God can work. Go to Nineveh and cry against it. He knew what he was supposed to do. There's no question. It wasn't like, uh, well, I'm not sure what you said. I don't know. I'm a little confused. No, go to Nineveh and cry against it. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. This is God's prophet. And he hears from God. And he thinks he can run away to Nineveh. Can you flip the other slide, please? If you look, Jonah would have been down around Joppa somewhere. Nineveh's up here. That's about 500 miles. He gets on his boat, and he's heading way over to the bottom of Spain there, which is where Tarshish is. That's about 2,000 miles. So Jonah's idea of running away from God was about 2,500 miles. He didn't have no clue, I guess, that God could be there too. Um, And, and the scriptures don't give us anything that Jonah said. He didn't say, no, God, I'm not going to do what you want. It, it doesn't say that he said that. But his actions scream loudly, no, I'm not going to. He knew what he was supposed to do, and his actions said no. So he goes down to Joppa. He finds a ship going to Tarshish. He pays the ticket, and he jumps on board. And next we see that the Lord... Somewhere there in the Mediterranean Sea, we're not sure exactly where that happens. When that boat is out there, we see the Lord sends a storm. And it's not just a little storm, because these mariners, these, these guys that are out on the sea every day, were afraid, scared, scared to death. So much that they, they throw out the stuff that's supposed to keep this boat moving. And they say, everyone, call upon your God. Everyone. Stop what you're doing and call upon your God. And then they find this guy in the bottom of the ship. Jonah didn't even know. Jonah's in this boat, and the thing is about to be torn apart by the stormy sea, and he doesn't know. But everybody around him knows. Everybody around him knows. What is going on? And whose fault is this? What is going on? And finally, they poke this sleeping dude in the bottom of the boat. And they say, what? Call upon your God. See if that can help. Everybody around Jonah no notices first. How are we doing? We looked a little bit last Sunday about um, Noah and the flood. And, and the warning that God gave to that people. And Jesus said, you know what? That kind of stuff is going to be happening in the end days. Are you ready? And I was nervous last Sunday, so it wasn't as forceful as today. But are you ready? And we looked at that. Have you noticed what's happening in the world? Have you noticed? You can flip to that other slide now. So my second slide. Have you noticed the forest fires in the world? I googled. And all of the red is where they have forest fires. And that's not just one. It's like Bunches of maybe 20, 30 forest fires. And the yellow is where there's really severe. So that's where it's really burning lots. And you can see all over the world that there's spots 
today. This is of now, of the forest fires. I looked online of the earthquakes that are happening around the world. Did you know that the National Earthquake Information Center locates about 20,000 earthquakes every year? And that's approximately 55 a day. Have you heard about the Euphrates River drying up? They say in, in Iraq that the Euphrates River is drying up. And part of that is caused by man. They're fighting over the water and they've got their dams going and, and part of it is just drought. Droughts here, sudden flooding there. The world is doing strange things. And you know what? People out there are noticing. I've talked with friends and, and guys that come on the door and they say, what's going on? And not just that stuff in the world, all these natural catastrophe type things. They noticed the, the last guy that stopped in was, he's a Jewish guy. He sells a merry grass seed. And he comes in and he said, he, he was talking, he said to me, what are we going to talk about today? I said, I don't know. What do you want to talk about? He said, well, then he started. He said, well, I'd been to the dentist, he said. And I was all frozen up, so I couldn't say anything. But the dentist and the assistant, they were talking. And they were talking about the craziness of their kids in school where they can identify as a cat or a dog or whatever else, he said. He said, I was sitting in the chair, and I said, I thought it was humorous. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, I said, things are going to get worse. I said, things are going to get worse. He said, how so? And we talked for a little bit. I said, I believe we're getting close to the Lord's return. He said, oh, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. And he's not a Christian fellow, but he's checked out enough of what Christians say to have a bit of an idea he said, I don't think it's going to happen in our lifetime. And I, I said, I think you're wrong. Are we ready? Mark 13, 32 and 34, says, Jesus said this, But of that day and hour knoweth no man, no, not the angels which are in heaven, neither the Son, but the Father. Take heed, watch, and pray, for ye know not when the time is. For the Son of Man is as a man taking a far journey, who left his house, and gave authority to his servants and to every man his work and commanded the porter to watch. The whole beginning of Mark 13 is about the signs and, and the things that we're supposed to see before the Lord's return. But you, did you notice what he says in that last verse, verse 34? For the Son of Man is as, a, is as a man taking a far journey. He left his house and he told, he gave authority to his servants and to every man his work, and commanded the porter to watch. Jonah knew what his, his job was. Do we know what our job is? Are we watching? Jesus also compares it to the, the bride and the groom, and the, bride, the groom's coming for his bride, and only five of them are ready, and the other five are, are not ready. They don't have oil in their lamps and they haven't been trimming them and they haven't been keeping watch. Jesus compares that to it too. Are we ready? Are we watching? The five that are watching are watching because they want to go with the bride. What's wrong with the ones who aren't paying attention? Are they so wrapped up in this world that they aren't prepared for the bridegroom to come? Jonah's sleeping in the boat. Is the church today sleepy? They wake Jonah up and they tell everyone to pray to their God. They cast lots, like rolling dice, 
to see whose fault this is going to be. And it falls on Jonah, and they ask him, tell us, what's going on? What you, what's this about? And we read it. We read what, it's, what he said. What's your occupation? Where you come from? What's your country? And what people are you from? He says, I'm a Hebrew. And I fear the Lord, the God of the heaven, which had made the sea and the dry land. I know the guy who's causing this storm. Or the, not guy, that's, that's irreverent. I know the one who's causing this storm. These people in these days were superstitious to all get out. They prayed to all kinds of stone monuments and, and idols and whatnot. And when you hear this guy saying, I pray to the God, and I follow the God who made this sea, who controls it, now they're shaking in their boots. What are you doing? Why do you do this? Why do you not listen to him? Why do you not do what he says? They were terrified of the God who controlled the sea. So they asked Jonah, what can we do? And of course, you know, Jonah says, well, toss me overboard. Job done. Right? Job done. It's my way out of here. I can't swim that good, so I know where I'm going. And they do. They throw him out. After trying, they try, they try their best to bring this boat to somewhere safe, but they couldn't, so they toss him overboard. And immediately we know the storm stopped. And it says, and these men feared Jonah's God, Yahweh, and offered sacrifices to him. They got it. They figured it out quick, just as quick as that. The one who can control the sea is the one that we're going to worship. They figured it out like that. That was the first group that turned to the Lord. And maybe they didn't have all the right answers, but that was the first group that turned to the Lord. Chapter 2 is all about Jonah's prayer. He outlines his troubles. He's turning his back from his disobedient ways. He cries out to the Lord, and this fish with indigestion spits Jonah out onto the dry land. And then we turn to chapter 3. And God comes to Jonah a second time. And he says, Jonah, Jonah. And you can imagine God's voice isn't like mine. You always think God's got a real deep voice. So it's Jonah, Jonah, whatever. <laughs> and he says, go to Nineveh. Nineveh was a, an Assyrian city. It was big. It was the oldest and most populous city of the ancient Assyrian Empire. The scripture here tells us that it's a city of three days' journey. So we're led to believe that it takes you three days to cross it. And they figure that's about 60 miles. Now, archaeologists squabble with that. And they say, well, the, the place that we can find is only seven and a half miles wide where the walls of this city are that we can find in modern day. Whether that's the exact findings that they could find, whether it meant that there was... Uh, suburbs around the city or vineyards and lands. There were palaces nearby that were important and probably part of it. There were aqueducts and there were different things in the area that belonged with the city. If it meant all of that area, I, we don't know, but it was a big city nevertheless. It was, it was the capital of this Assyria. Um, and the other information that we have about the Assyrian Empire, Nineveh, is that they were brutal. They were fierce warriors. When they would come into your land and conquer you, they would take your women captive and they would slay everybody else. And not in nice ways. So they would skin you alive, it says, 
in, in the commentaries and stuff I read, they would skin you and flail you, and it wasn't pretty. So Jonah had this idea, these are not friendly people. These are, maybe some guys said, maybe he even saw some of this happening, where some of the women that he was associated with were taken away, and, and other people killed, and he only escaped because he was a prophet. I don't know. It doesn't say that in Scripture. That's just people's speculation. But he knew they were brutal, and he had no love for them. Do we have the same lack of concern for the lost people around us? I've shared with you lots. Pastor Sims missed out on this, but I've shared with you lots about my Uncle Henry. And having shared with him and, and gone to visit him and shared the gospel with him, and sure, he came to the Lord in his last month of life. And I've shared with you that. And that was easy because I loved the man. You know that? That was easy for me because I loved the man. But how about people who are not so lovable? How about Aunt Sally, whose pride is all about herself? She comes and brags about her lifestyle and how many houses her son can buy and how well she's done being a nurse and how she has everything she wants. That's not so easy. That is not so easy to go witnessing to her. And yet she needs the Lord. I was sharing um, in a group of people. So it was, at the, it was a celebration of life for Uncle Henry. At, that was in Cortland at uh, the Ball Diamond underneath the canopy there. Um, and I was just talking with some people, and Aunt Sally was in that group. And I shared how I had gone to see Uncle Henry on his birthday. I shared how we'd spoken, and then I shared finally how we, I prayed with him at the end when I was going to leave. And I shared how I had asked him and said, you know what God wants for him. I've told you that story, some of you. And as I shared that with her in the crowd, in that bunch of people, there were tears coming down her eyes. And then I felt convicted. Because she's a little bit of my Nineveh. She's my, a little bit of my, my thinking of an unreachable pe people group. And I said, Lord, who am I to say that I shouldn't be sharing with somebody? Who am I that I should think they're unreachable? They're not ones that need your gospel. She needs your gospel. And maybe you want me to do it. Who am I to say no? Jonah proclaims, 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Noah had a message of 120 years before the flood would come and destroy the world. We don't have a deadline. The Lord could come tomorrow, and we could be taken away. And then our opportunity to share with those who still need to hear would be gone. It would be over. Luke 11, I'm going to read, oh, there's about four verses there. Luke 11, 29 to 23, or to 33. It says this. And when the people were gathered thick together, he began to say, this is an evil generation. They seek a sign, and there shall no sign be given it but the sign of Jonah, the prophet. For as Jonah was a sign unto Nineveh, so also the Son of Man 
speak to this generation. The queen of the south shall rise up in generation in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the utmost part of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, a greater than Jonah is here. No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it under a bushel, putteth it in a secret place, but nor under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. We have a greater message to tell. Jonah's message was temporary. That was only for a short time there in Nineveh. And the first part of our message remains the same. Man has a sin problem. Man is in trouble. They're in sin. And God can't handle sin. My Uncle Henry asked me if I thought heaven was real in one of our conversations. He said, I've tried to be a good person. I've tried to live right. I've tried to not do terribly evil things. I've I've tried. He knew he wasn't perfect. He said, no one is. I told him, just one of our conversations, I said, would you want heaven to be a place where there's a little bit of sickness? A little bit of pain? A little bit of suffering? You know, a little bit. Not often, but once in a while people die and you're separated. Would you want heaven to be a place like that? And he thought. Should God ignore just a little bit of suffering in heaven? The next part is this. Jesus suffered for our sins. He paid it all. We can do nothing. Repent all you want. That won't fix it. God, Jesus suffering for our sins. That's what fixed the problem. First time when I spoke here, I I spoke about Philip and the Ethiopian. And the Ethiopian's message came from Isaiah 53 for that. Or Philip's message came from Isaiah 53 for that Ethiopian eunuch. Isaiah 53 says this, 4 and 5. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we're healed. Isaiah 53.10 says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He had put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasures of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Did you catch that part? When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin. Leviticus 6 verse 5 talks about a trespass offering that they used to make back in those days when, when somebody had wronged somebody and they had to go make it right. 
if they lied and it cost that person something, they would give 100% to restore that problem. Plus, they would add a, 50, a, a fifth on top. So now it's 120% repayment. Jesus restored for us. And he did more than 120%. He did way more than that. It also talks about the prolonging of his days, which speaks of Jesus' resurrection. Romans 1, 1 to 4 says this, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised aforehand by his prophets in the holy sepulchers, concerning his son, Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. We know that he's real because he was raised. We know that his, his offering was accepted because he rose again. God accepted it. In Romans 3, 21 to 26, I'm going to read a little bit there. But now the righteousness of God without the law is manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe. For there is no difference, for all have sinned and come, sh come short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say at this time, his righteousness, that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. It comes when we believe in Christ, when we accept that, that work that he did for us. He did it, we didn't. We could do nothing. He did it all. So lastly, who are the messengers? At the flood, Noah was the messenger. We heard that. In Nineveh, Jonah was the messenger. When I talked about the Ethiopian eunuch, Philip was the messenger. And Philip's message is the same as ours today. Noah's message was slightly different. No one listened to Noah. You know that? Only his family, and they grew up with him. But that's still important. Never underestimate that responsibility. That was also spoken here this morning when Pastor Sim said, you look down your row and you look at your aisle and you look at how you live before your children because they're watching you and that's going to make a difference in their life when they see real Christianity lived out before them. That is true. We have that responsibility. But who else? We all have neighbors. I've got guys that come in and try to sell me stuff all the time. People that come to pick up the milk. And, and all kinds of people that come in all the time. I've got relatives that still need to hear. Who are your people? 
who are the ones that you're supposed to be reaching? Because as we heard, God's given us a job. And he's given it to all of those who believe. Um, Ephesians 4, 11 to 15 says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in unity of faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man, unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. But did you get that middle verse? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. A lot of times that has all these nice little commas in there and we think it's all broken up into these individual little parts for the work of the ministry, for the, edif for the perfecting of the saints, for the but it's not. It's for the perfecting of the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry, so that it will edify the body of Christ. That's how we should read that. It's not this group is working for the perfecting of the saints. This group is doing the ministry, the pastors and, and those people that we put in charge of that, and we give them a salary, and so now it's their job. When we want someone to get saved, we try to haul them into the church so they might hear their words. No, that's not how it's supposed to work. It's supposed to work that when you come to church, these guys are saying, here guys, this is what you need to do to get ready. So when you go through that door and you go out into that world, you're doing the ministry out there. And people, multiples of people will hear a lot more than you're ever going to ever drag through the doors. That's what it's supposed to be about. I read it earlier, Luke 11.33, when I tagged it on to the other bunch. I was maybe planning on saving it till now. But it says this, No man, when he hath lighted a candle, putteth it in a secret place, neither under a bushel, but on a candlestick, that they which come in may see the light. How many people are coming into your life daily? What are they looking at? Are we so busy trying to make our little empires in this world, worrying about family, friends, business. You fill the blank in. Are we so worried about that stuff that nobody sees the light of Jesus in our life? Let's pray. Father, I put a huge challenge in front of these people. And you know, it's, it's as big a challenge for me. And so, Father, I just pray that as I've spoken that you would make it real in my life, that you would make it real in our lives, that we would see the harvest that's white out there. You have called us to be workers in your fields, and you've called us to share your gospel. And, Father, if there's somebody here tonight that still needs to call on you and call out to you and say, please forgive my sin, Father, then I pray tonight that they would not put it off. I said last week, Father, that I can't guarantee them tomorrow. I can't guarantee them next week. I said, I can't guarantee you'll be able to get out of your pew. Father, help them to see how urgent it is. You love them and you gave everything for them so that they can be redeemed. So that we heard this morning, they can be reconciled to you. You are the God of reconciliation. You want to make it so that they can come into your presence 
and not be consumed in your wrath. Father, help them to know that you love them and that tonight they can make a decision for you. Father, if, if there's some, I pray that they would do that. And Father, for the rest of us, help us to be your light in this dark world and help us to shine brightly for you. And I just ask it now in Jesus' name. Amen.